We've been following Jesus towards the cross, and we're going ahead, hopefully, through the cross, not just to the cross to hang around there. And as we're following him, I hope, as we've listened to Philip this morning, I hope you see themes that just keep reappearing and recurring. This chapter, the last chapter, the first being last, the last being first, not about obeying commandments, but something more than that. All kinds of themes that keep coming back, even down to the children of chapter 9 reappearing in chapter 10. And it seems to me that as we've begun this last part of the journey, because chapter 11 starts with a triumphal entry, that we're getting towards Jerusalem and things seem to be getting a little bit busy around Jesus. You can tell that as he's going along, it seems that the disciples, well, they've kind of become in those sort of a bodyguard kind of situation has arisen. And these bumbling rural cultures are trying to get Jesus through. And by the way, if you're a bumbling rural culture, lucky you. Their accents betrayed them. They were from the countryside, as close to North Antrim probably as Palestine of that day could be. Desi, I'll know. Oh, he'd probably agree with me on that, whether it's theologically right or not. And I always thought when I was there at Ravenhill, and some years Methody got to the final and shouted, Culture's at us. For a time I felt bad about it, and then I realized, who are we to have that country accent like the Lord had? Who are we to start off with a bigger advantage than those urban city dwellers? I'll just take the blessing and let them sing all they like. But you can tell this is happening, and mothers are coming with children, and the disciples are trying to do this kind of bodyguard thing and keep them away, but Jesus said, no, 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 bring the children. You see, remember I told you just in the last chapter, Jesus obviously didn't have last chapters, but it might have been yesterday or the day before or the week before or whatever way Mark edited this, he said, do you remember I told you that unless you become like these children, look, here's a beautiful example of what it's like to be those who would enter the kingdom. Don't keep them away from me, bring them. And you could tell maybe as you read into this that the children are as easy with Jesus as Jesus is with the children. And that he's someone that they can respond to and that the mothers want to have their children blessed by this, whoever he is, because they don't quite, some of them do and some of them don't, but he's on his way to Jerusalem for some of them think this and there's a lot of news at 10 Nine o'clock news people running around scurrying, trying to work out what is going on here. And the rich young ruler then appears out from nowhere running towards him. And it's interesting as you read the commentaries because most of them think that he genuinely was looking to know what to, you know, he's a seeker. He's a genuine seeker, some of them say, looking to know what it is to get eternal life. But I read it, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure that he's not coming out there to say, 
What do you need to do to inherit eternal life? Because I sure haven't. I'm not. I just sense that when Jesus said, good teacher, why do you call me good? That maybe Jesus is seeing a little bit of what's going on with this law keeper. It doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love him. It says that Jesus loved him and then said to him what Jesus knew was going to be the breaker of the deal. Okay, you're good. You want to go back a couple of Sundays? You're good. You're keeping the religious law. Sorry, it's not about being good. Do you want to be God's? Do you want to be God's chosen children? Part of the team, the body? Do you want to be God's follower? Okay, you've got to be a whole lot more than good. You particularly, you're going to have to sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Now, some of the commentaries will go into all kinds of economic distribution of wealth out of this verse, which may be a wee bit above what is in the text. But other companies don't mention the poor part of it at all. They think it's just about getting rid of the wealth. But Jesus had the way to get rid of the wealth, which was to the poor who needed their daily bread, just as Desi has been praying. So the rich young ruler says, what should I do to inherit eternal life? He seems to want it. But he gets caught up in the distractions of this life. Goes away sad. And then you have the disciples. And you've got to say Mark is not a big fan of disciples. Because here we are again, we've discussed it in chapter 9. But here we are back in chapter 10 with these guys wanting to sit at his right hand. I mean, he has tried as hard as he can to take their ambition of being first in the kingdom to saying the first will be last and the last will be... Got to do it all over again because they're still meeting in their little groups and they're still saying, can we... We could... No, he's trying to say. The world around us has a system. Those in power lord it over. But we who are in the new kingdom are not there to lord it over. We're there to give, to serve. And then we get to this last meeting. Still on his way. He's got to Jericho. So he's about 15 miles out. They're beginning to see the, the end straits. 15 miles out the end straits. And they're in Jericho, which is interesting. Because what happened in Jericho, I don't mean the walls and the trumpets and all of that. I mean, what else happened in Jericho? Who was the other guy that Jesus went to in Jericho? Zacchaeus, he went to in Jericho. So it's interesting when we look at these two stories of Jericho, that Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, probably one of the richest men in town. And then in this situation, he engages with one of the poorest members of the community. So when he walked into Jericho and he saw Zacchaeus, David Bruce, who's now head of um, BMI, the Board of Mission Ireland, way back when he was traveling secondary at UCCF, used to describe um, Zacchaeus 
as a little man in a white suit with some Kentucky Fried Chicken hanging out of his mouth up a tree. It was like Boss Hogg and the Dukes of Hazard. It really was just that. And you get that image of Zacchaeus. But as Jesus walks into Jerusalem, or Jericho rather, the day Zacchaeus is the one who's going to have him for lunch, the people you can see saying, well, it'll be the rich young ruler, that, that guy, you know that guy who keeps all the commandments, oh, he's bound to go to him for lunch. And no, Jesus goes right through the crowd to the last person in Jericho that people would have thought he might have lunch with. And he says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to have lunch with you today. And here, as he's on the outskirts, he means blind, he meets blind Bartimaeus, who's one of the poorest people in the whole of Jericho. And they have this encounter. It's a fascinating encounter. Because there's this man blind with his cloak around him. But he's heard about Jesus, obviously. And he's got a reasonable theology of Jesus because he calls him son of David, which not a lot of people in this gospel do. He wants to meet Jesus. He wants to see Jesus. He believes that Jesus could do something for him. But he doesn't think that he'd ever get the chance because he's one of the poorest of the poor. Then Jesus hears him and says, bring him to me. And you can see it if you were doing the movie of how quickly he gets rid of that cloak and he throws it away and he runs to Jesus. The cloak is all the riches he had. It would have sat around him and he would have sat on it and people would have put their pennies or whatever they did on that cloak. That was his livelihood. House, bed, warmth. He threw it off and headed towards Jesus. And Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? Now, I'm sorry, but I find that a very difficult question for a long time. I mean, was Jesus not up to the game? Was he just a bit tired at that point? I mean, what did he think he wanted to do for him? But then as time has gone on, as you spend time in chaplaincy, as you move into parish life, you suddenly meet situations where people will come up and look for your attention. But it's a good question to say, what do you want me to do for you? Because sometimes the obvious is not necessarily what they really want. Because what Jesus was saying to the blind Bartimaeus here was, if it's what I perceive it could be, that you want me to help you to see, and that you stop being blind Bartimaeus, and become seeing Bartimaeus, that's going to be a huge shift in your identity. Healing is going to change everything for you. At the moment, you can sit there in that cloak that you just threw off, and you will know tomorrow that somebody might just give you a little penny on the way by. But if I heal you, what's next? Where are you going? Have you thought about it? Have you considered this? What do you want me to do for you? It's a good question. Artemis knows. He wants to see, and he does see, and he immediately follows after Jesus. Now, there's ways to look at these stories, is there not? Is there comparing and contrasting that Mark might have wanted us to do with these stories? Here is the rich young ruler, and the rich young ruler is coming to Jesus, the one who is seeking eternity, but gets so caught in the distractions of this life that he doesn't get eternity. He walks away. And Jesus and him are both sad. And then there's blind Bartimaeus, 
who has no distractions. Absolutely nothing to lose. And with no distractions, he doesn't only find healing in this life, but it says he follows Jesus, and we assume on from that as one of his disciples into eternity. So what's the comparing and contrasting? Desi put it incredibly well in the prayer. I don't think Jesus wants us to be either poor or wealth-obsessed. But there is something about Bartimaeus' story here that should be a warning to us who sit in BT7 close to BT9. Blessed are the poor. Now tonight we're going to look at this in much more depth um, as we begin to think in Cape Town. We're going to get caught between the poverty that the prophets raged against and the poverty that Jesus called blessed. But when it comes to Bartimaeus and the rich young ruler here, blessed is the poor. The poor man in the story is blessed because he hasn't all those hurdles to jump that the rich young ruler had to jump. He had nothing to lose, everything to gain. And we who are rich, my friend Gordon's with us, I remember getting out of a van in Wallace Dean in Cape Town. Gordon was taking some photographs and I had spotted this clothesline on the top of a very rickety corrugated iron roof or I don't know how people could have walked out to get this um, these clues on this clothesline so Gordon and I are walking around and we, we get out to take this photograph and he's seen three or four amazing photographs uh, in the, the couple of steps that I got to this one but, but he said to me he says they think we're rich don't they and then we both looked at each other and said but we are rich and we have so many hurdles to get over Because he might say to us, what is it you won't let go of? What is it is your distraction? What is it in the momentary that would be stopping you laying up treasure in the eternal? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for us who are wealthy to find the ways of the kingdom. Are we living for the moment? Or are we living for eternity? I don't think Jesus is an issue with wealth. It's a case. I'm coming for lunch. I think he's an issue with how we spiritually deal with it. And it's not easy to spiritually deal with. But if we come to the conclusion of this, should we not be thinking, well, what is the moment and what is eternity? I've been here six months, so let me do a wee bit of confessing. You're not going to believe this one, but you're going to have to bear with it. In my younger days, before I met the gorgeous Janice, who is now your wonderful minister's wife, there were other girls. I know you're not believing it. You're thinking, how did you get her? Never mind anybody else. 
But the news would get out to mothers around Belfast. Not a multitude of mothers, but there was one or two. And they would go to the neighbors. They would say, she's seeing a young student from Union College. There was great excitement. And then I would come for lunch. (laughs) It all went pear-shaped from there. But there was one mother who was excited. And then I came for lunch, and I wasn't asked back. No. An elder's wife, serving the church, keen on mission. Not keen on mission, keen on mission. But the first day I'm in with my hair to hair, holes in my jeans... I wasn't the archetypal Union College student that she was wanting. And then she said, and where would you like to be minister? And I said, you know, I don't care. Outer Mongolia, Congo, Korkanahara, sure, wherever the Lord leads. Wrong answer. Because she really wanted security for her daughter. She wanted a lovely month off the Malone Road. And I wasn't guaranteeing it. Who's laughing now? (laughs) But it was a situation that affected what her daughter's life would be. The moment was much more important than treasure in eternity. Or a friend of mine who, in her mid-twenties, went into hospital for a very minor operation and was told after the operation that they'd found something and she had only three months to live. And I, as her assistant minister, had to go in and somehow share with her. I was really novice, but I can remember every step from the car park in the Royal into her ward. And I gave her flowers from the youth group and she called a nurse over and she said, Nurse, more flowers for you. And I said, sorry, I'm not understanding. She says, she's getting married at the weekend. If I die, she's getting all my flowers. (laughs) I sat down. I sat down and she ministered to me. Yes, her and her husband had cried for two days. Yes, this was an unbelievably bad news for them. But she said to me, Steve, if I believe in eternity and I'm going to live forever, What are a few years here? And she believed it. She believed it. Her treasure was somewhere else. As we go forward as a church, Jesus might say to us as individuals today, what do you want me to do for you? And answer the question honestly, guys, girls, women, men, grannies, grandas. Are we up for what he might answer? And what the cost of this might be? The way that he talked to his disciples about how it was going to be for them? Are we up for a James and John answer? Are we really happy just to come for a nice breakfast, come and sit for a nice service and actually get to 20 past 12 and say, well, that's a long sermon. That service went on a bit this morning. 
Or are we really getting down to what the cost might be for me and for each one of you and for us? What do we want them to do for us in city center witness and ministry in the next 20 years? And are we ready for what it might cost us? Jesus loves us. But what's he saying to us today in the way that he spoke to the rich young ruler? And then we're back to the child. Trusting, not confused by wealth or poverty, just trusting that somebody will look after them and prepared to do what the one they trust in asks. Fitzroy, unless we become as a little child, we will not see or bring in the kingdom of God the way I think he longs for us to do. Let's pray. Lord, we will be honest with you at the outset. There are definitely hurdles that we need to get over. Members of the most wealthy generation in the history of the planet having to face the words, take up your cross daily and follow me. Lord, that is a spiritual challenge. It comes with many dilemmas. It comes with many doubts. It comes with many distractions. And so we ask that on the day we celebrate your Spirit being released, on the day that the Spirit came, that your Spirit might move amongst us as individuals and might move amongst us as a body of your believers in Belfast City Centre and that we might respond like Bartimaeus to become trusting like the children so that we would be the soil that would bring an incredible harvest of 30, 60, and 100 times what is sown. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.